Wow. Kia ora, everybody. Another awesome podcast, this one, with one of the Sonics crew from the States. I love these guys. They are epic. Check them out um, on Instagram, Sorenix. Uh, you will not be disappointed with what comes out of, of these guys. We're with Brandon Lilly, who is the host of the Sorenix podcast, Be Legendary podcast. Make sure you check that out for some epic conversations. Um, as I say in the podcast, go back and listen to our conversation with Bert Soren, uh, obviously one of the owners of Sorenix, and Brady Cervantes, aka Tatonka. Check out that and get a little bit of context for some of the stuff that uh, Brandon talks about here. This is wicked, absolutely mind-blowing conversation. It's not just about hunting, uh, that's where we start, but it's about life and, and so much that's awesome about it. Oh, I'm pumped, I'm just finished, so yeah, enjoy. Good. Kia ora everybody, I'm having the absolute pleasure with talking to host of be Legendary Podcast. I'll encourage you to go back and listen to my episodes with Bert Soren and Brady uh, Cervantes, Tadonka, as he comes across. Yep. Um, Brandon, what did you do last weekend, man? Say that again? What did you do last weekend? Oh, last weekend, um, I was I was back home, but I've been hunting for a little bit. Um, I was hunting out in Arizona on the OTC, which is an over-the-counter uh, mule deer tag and i was out there with the guys at big chino yeah is that, what you, is that what you were talking about or did i see, do something else <laughs> yeah, no, uh, you 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 um got that together well man you're, you're a pro <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, no, it's um i guess to delve right into that last weekend um there was a big change coming home from the hunt mm. and i think you know so that was my first western hunt it was my first uh mule deer attempt and typical whitetail hunter, um, tree stand kind of deal. And I mean, it's a very effective tool. It's a very effective way to hunt. Obviously guys get it done, but the terrain, um, just the scale of the topography out West and also the, you know, kind of the, the habits of the animals are a little bit different, similar, but different. And it just, it's a totally different world for me to be able to go out there and do the spot and stalk stuff. I mean, we, we put in about eight miles a day, uh, seven and a half anyway, as an average. And when I got home, I really did this kind of, uh, decompression of all the things. Was I, was I physically prepared? Yes. Was I mentally prepared? Not necessarily, um, unprepared, but you can't know everything until you start to, to do it. And it, it becomes part of the process. Gear was a, there was, there was very high points and there was very low points. Um, some of the things that I chose to use, uh, I don't want to, I don't do not want to knock any of the manuf manufacturers because in their particular setting, um, they work really, really well. But in this instance, um, the combination of some of the choices that I made for my bow setup and things like that could have been improved. So, you know, having a single pin is awesome until the animal is, is moving or moving away from you. And I very, very quickly realized, you know, on these particular animal, uh, picking up your rangefinder, sighting it, dialing, getting the bow up, getting the bow drawn, and and making a a, a perfect shot, at least for me was going to be the odds were going to start stacking against me pretty heavily. So I did go with the uh, option six S, um, the the multi sight there, and 
what I like about that is it, it gives me the option to have the single pin mm. and it collapses and it has the multi pin. So it's really the best of both worlds. Um, I was using a mechanical hybrid blade and for that type of setting, you need to be able to draw the, the arrow very quickly, get it knocked and, and be able to shoot. And there were just little things. They don't, the particular brand I was using had great success in Oklahoma, had great success in Kentucky, but the the expandables on it were just they were always a little bit open and they were always kind of pulling into one another when you were trying to be fast they would not cooperate so fixed blade for me if i go back out west which i intend to in august um yeah i mean just just everything that i could detail out all the things that i could look at myself and say okay as a man was i prepared i think so like i think my ability to shoot my bow my ability to overcome obstacles mentally and then physically being being able to do the mileage and not feel the pain of every mile, um, I think I was I was prepared. But just those little things, I mean, obviously a Roger Federer does something completely different when he walks on the tennis court than your guy down at the local tennis club, you know. Um, and that's and that's all I'm trying to do is begin my journey into that Western hunter, and and really become somebody that is thoughtful about it, not just going out there, you know guns a blazing so to say but just going out there with a real intent to do the right things for myself so I can look myself in the mirror and say I gave it my all I did my absolute best I prepared for this and coming home from that I I feel like I did but I feel like I could get so much better too so um the 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 hashtag lift run shoot you know popularized by cam that was really really put into perspective. I mean, it was something I believed in and, and kind of adapted to even as a whitetail hunter, but I could very, very much see where for the Western hunter, the guy that's putting in eight miles every day and he's got multiple seasons in multiple States, I could see where it becomes an all encompassing lifestyle and I'm all about it. So. <laughs> yeah, man. So you've, you've definitely got the lift covered and, um, uh, <laughs> We'll get into that, of course, um, sure. in the various various places that's taken you. Um, for those listening and thinking, oh, this is another um, hunting podcast, well, we just hang in there because because Brandon is is a diverse man, and, and it's part of the reason why I've, why I've got him. You know, he's he's had a, a you know a colourful journey throughout life, and, and and there's there's a lot there's a lot to be garnered from that. But just I. I had had a similar spirit experience of, of four days in the bush of a place I've never been before, um, mountainous. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the this sort of terrain where on one side of of, of the range it, it's big bush, where, which is very dry here and very noisy, and so we were just putting up deer and not not a chance of seeing them. And then the other side is even less chance of seeing them because it's this thick, scrubby stuff. And yeah, yeah, and, and exactly like you say, you, you go away from there. Uh, absolutely stoked with the effort that you put in, the the things you achieved. But yep. the first, you know, walking out on the track, the first thing everybody asks is, "Did you get anything?" And you go, "Right, oh, right." I got so much, but not not a deer. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very difficult thing, and I think, um, you know, I, I think hunters have done a poor job of accentuating that side of the hunt. Um, you know, it's always the grab and grin. It's always the big rack. And that's fine. I mean, that sells magazines, that sells arrows, that sells bows. And that's, that is a part of it. I mean, when I was powerlifting, um, there was some level of 
from the viewer's standpoint, you don't see these massive numbers all that commonly. So when you see a person do that, you celebrate it. You don't see these deer that are massive all that commonly. So when you, when you see those things, you want to celebrate them. But I absolutely never, ever want to diminish um, either someone who goes out and comes home empty handed because if they gave their all, that's a, that's a powerful thing in and of itself. Mm. And then also the person who, who might arrow, you know, I saw a guy that arrowed a spike buck and he was getting a lot of grief online. And he said, look, I sat in a tree for 35 days to get that buck, you know, um, spending four to six hours a day. I mean, I know that's not the, the typical guy that sits, you know, until the, the job is done or the, the, the kill is done. But you know, that was what his schedule allowed before work and a little bit after work, you know, he would go sit in the stand and it took him a long time. And he was so proud of that. And I could just, I could see the deflating feeling, you know, because of what it meant to him. And there was a point on our hunt, um, you know, obviously the first day we see, I, I had no expectation for anything. I had no idea what I was really getting into. And the first day we saw a really nice two by three. He was very, very wide, very tall, big, huge crab claw on one side. And, you know, it was like, I was like, man, that's, that's a beautiful buck. And the guys were like, well, are you sure? Like there's bigger bucks around. And I said, no, he's a beautiful buck. I like character bucks. I like bucks that, that have an attitude that have a strut about them or they, they have something unique about them. And, um, I, I just, I look back at that moment and it was like, we had a great chance to just observe. We, I won't say we had a great chance to, to take a shot, but we had a, a great chance to observe and understand what he was going to do, where he was going to go. And we might've had a shot, but I think the feeling on day one is, Hey, let's, let's do something a little better, you know? And then by day four or five, I'm thinking about that buck, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what might've been and this kind of thing and the other. So I get it. There's a lot of pressure on some of these guys to produce big racks and everything. But fortunately um, for myself, I have to be very, very careful because I do have a following and I do have some associations with some really, really um, very interesting people and cool people. And I think it would be very easy for me to slip into that mindset of bigger, better, stronger, faster, more again, you know, and that's been a, that's been a real tough thing for me to overcome in my own life is this balls to the wall mentality. Like I'm trying to step back and have more of a spiritual experience when I'm out there. And as the hunt wound down, I mean, it, it was an impossible day. The last day was just impossible. I'm out there. Um, the, the conditions, if you, if you don't know in Arizona, especially in this portion, uh, it's basically lava rock everywhere that you can, that you step. And then there's also the meteorite, um, fallout from that. So there's a lot of this like glass, like rock, everything is sharp, everything cuts you. Um, and it, and it makes, you know, just from some difficulty in your approach and whatnot. But so again, Arizona last day and I fell, um, stepping on a rock, it kind of gave way under my foot landed with my bow, but I looked and it was just like a little bitty crease of paint on the, on the outside of the rest, one on the arm. I mean, it was, it was minimal. Well, later that day, fast forward, the only opportunity, I won't say it was a good one, but it was an opportunity to draw back on a deer. He was at 80 yards and he was kind of like, he wasn't, he was aware of us, but he wasn't afraid of us. So I should say, but he was just kind of like casually walking away. And I had him ranged at 80 again, one of those problems. And he starts moving off and I was like, okay, 
So I've shot a bunch of those foam targets, you know, when they're in flight and things. So I have a little bit of an understanding, you know, of shooting my bow in those conditions. So I aimed a little bit, I mean, more than a little bit high. I aimed almost a body length high and a body length in front and missed low left, you know, mm-hmm. like at, at 90 yards probably. So I get back to the, to the camp middle of the day, just one of those days where nothing was going right. And I shoot 10 yards and I'm seven inches left, 20 yards and 14 inches left. So I realized very quickly my bow is just done. And we're sitting there trying to dial it in the best we can. And it's like you move it left because you miss left and now you're missing high. And then you move it high because you missed high and now you're missing low right. Like there was no, something was off and we just couldn't, we couldn't figure it out in in the meantime. We kept moving the site and what we ended up realizing was the the rest was bent. Yeah. Uh, so it was just throwing the arrows, you know, it was whipping them out of there. So I'm a 30 and a half draw. Brady's a 28 and a half. And we see this buck on the ridge and he's like, can you shoot my bow? And I said, we'll find out. So we went and shot. And at 75 yards, um, I lung shot at this 3D target they have at camp. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I can shoot it. So we went down this huge, huge hill went up a huge hill and we're making a very, very good stalk on this animal. And, um, he was alone. He was backed up to the tree. He was kind of bedded in. You could see the fog rolling towards us. You could feel the temperature starting to drop. And literally we saw him, he kind of moved and circled around and went back down to a tree. All it was, was like a, he was bedded, but he was just adjusting himself. It wasn't like he was spooked. Excuse me. And we, we approach, we, we get our angle, and then we kind of come off to the right to play the wind. And I'm telling you, in a matter of five minutes, it went from there's the buck, there's the tree, to we couldn't see the juniper tree 20 feet in front of us. <laughs> and it was like, it was 5 p.m., sundown is 5.30, and we just started, like, we just looked at each other, and I said, that's it, there's no, there's no play. I mean, we ended up pushing it right until the sun went down just trying to get close, but, um, there was no play there. And we came down to the bottom after it was all said and done. And I'm telling you this long story to to get to this point. The emotion that hit me was, I, I get emotional now, but it was, it was unlike anything I expected and definitely not something that I recalled feeling in any other way in my life with sports or anything like that. Um, and I think, as a man, especially a man who's made a lot of really, really selfish choices and a lot of uh, hurtful choices to those around him in this moment, all I could think about was there was a day that I didn't think life was worth it. There was a day that I didn't think that one of the greatest celebrations in my life would be this failure. And it wasn't failure in that, yeah, I didn't get a deer. That was the objective, but it was, it was a failure to recognize what I was actually going out there for. It was never to come home with the deer. That was always going to be, that's always a secondary thing for me now. Um, I think at one point in time, I probably would have gone out there and been pissed that I didn't kill something. I would have been, you know, probably talking shit about Chino and this, that, and the other, like how they didn't put me on deer. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. I was the kind of guy that was very, very quick to point the finger away from my faults. I was very, very quick to point people away from my failures and say, no, it wasn't me. I'm awesome. It was them, you know, but it was a very, very humbling moment. And it was kind of like all of these things kind of 
swirled together in this moment. And, and I'm there with Brady, you know, like mm -hmm. that was one of the powerful things too, is, you know, I've got a guy who's literally seen me at my worst and he's here with me where I feel like at least in that moment, I'm at my, like I'm freaking crying right now, but <laughs> you know, um, but it was, it was powerful. And, we shared some words with each other and probably one of the best hugs in my life, you know, but I was just so glad that I had a friend shit <laughs> that, that didn't walk away from me when it got hard, you know? Yeah. And, uh, man, excuse me. I, okay. I just, it, it's all good tears, you know, for a long time when I would, get, when I would get emotional, it was because it was like, I can't get over it. I can't get out of it. I can't fix this. And now the tears are like, man, look at how awesome this life is. Look at how good this moment is. Look at how beautiful my friend is. Like yeah. he walked down, like it was an impossible stock, like impossible. And Chino was like, I don't know if you guys can make it. I don't know if you guys can make it. And Brady's like, no, we're going. So it was like, he knew what we were walking into. We were walking into an impossible situation. I'm using his bow, the fog's rolling in and he's like, let's go. So to know that you have a friend that will, that'll be there for you. And Brady is certainly a guy that would do anything for me. Um, it just, it was a beautiful thing. And I'm so, so happy about it. Despite the tears. <laughs> yeah, no. um, just, just on the, on the tears of happiness. Uh, um, I'm pretty fresh to them myself. Uh, I think my, my daughter being born was that, that first moment. Yeah. And then, uh, of late, I've had had some stories on here that have, have done the same, and, and and you're rubbing off on me right now. But mate, as you say, and you know, I didn't perform to the to the highest level in the world or or even the country, but but I was, I was doing always doing my hardest, and and like I said, it was a life of balls to the walls, goal goal oriented for everything. So every setback had a a lesson or, or whatever, and it was I guess you never took stock to enjoy it. It was always about trying to, trying to make it, I guess. And then, yeah. like you say, that, that now that opportunity to sit back and, and enjoy it and, and um, express yourself and, and have a um, spiritual, I guess, whatever, however you want to frame that, that word, yeah. um, experience with life. And, and and something, it wasn't at a great level, but it's something that I've been dealing with is, is that moving away from, rugby or swimming or water polo, whatever it has been in my life, moving away from that and now being a father, being um, a man ready for whatever life throws at you. It's just sure. this, this, this different thing. And like you say, you can start to look at yourself and go, man, I, I miss, missed a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think, go ahead. I'm sorry. Hey, oh, that's what, that was basically what, what, what I was prompting you. Well, yeah. you know, I think, um, I think life is very, very funny. And I think for me, the way that I've looked at things as, as human beings, I think we've done a really good, good job of making life more comfortable, life a little bit easier. And I think in the current settings, um, there is a, there is a point where extreme effort sets you apart so, so easily because so many people are, are, you know, they've, they've, they're redundant. They've, you know, relegated themselves to the couch or they've kind of checked out. And so this idea of like, get up every day and grind and just work and push and go and give and go and like on and on and on and on and on. I think that's fine. But I think if you're a very, very high end pusher over here, 
you do need to have those very, very extreme escapes where it's quiet. It's still, there's nothing happening because everything in nature is balanced. Every single thing in nature is balanced. Everything that is inside of me is balanced as far as the cells, the blood, everything has its, is its appropriate portion. It makes sense that we're losing it. It makes sense that people are depressed and falling apart. Even when you've got millions of dollars in the bank, mm. people are sitting there and, and I'm talking about the, the trashy like housewives of wherever, you know, you have these people who are ex extremely financially well off and all they want to do is, sh is talk shit about their neighbor or they want to sit there and cat fight with one another. And it's like, what would it take to truly make you happy? Because everybody that's here in Vegas that I'm talking to is, is trying to get the next job or trying to get the next sale or trying to get more money, get more this, get more that. We're all in this mindset of more, but you look at a, a huge population of the people with everything and they're upset. So for me, I really wanted to, to try to understand that balance in myself. And I, it comes back to, um, Musashi, like the idea, he said, when all I was, was a, was a warrior, the sword controlled me. But when I chose to be a poet or I chose to be a painter or a gardener, um, then I chose the sword, you know, and there was something very, very heavy about that. In my whole life, uh, I was this very aggressive, very brash, very in your face kind of personality. And that was never off, but I was still the guy that's talking to you right now behind closed doors, but it was too much of an exodus. You know, it was too, it was too drastic for my peers to understand because it's like, wait a minute, you're this hard ass, this tough guy and you're over here doing this. And it was just like, it wasn't in play. You know, it, it didn't make sense. It, it was, it, I was trying to find balance, but it was way too out of balance. Mm. So I had to step back from that kind of mindset and that outlook on life. And I'm like you, you know, I have a son and I look at him and it's, there was a part of myself that was like, okay, I'm going to be this champion. I'm going to do these things with a barbell so that he can be proud of me, you know? And one of the, the toughest conversations that I had with his mother, um, I benched 600 pounds in competition and I called and I was talking to him, you know, and I'm like, Hey, daddy benched 600 pounds. And he said, Oh, okay. I built a Lego set, you know, like, and, and the, and the reality of it was, and his mother put it to me perfectly said, you didn't have to bench 600 pounds to be his Superman. You just need, you just needed to show up. And it took this moment that was this high achievement. I was already disappointed in how it felt. You know, I mean, I, I got it. I smoked the lift, but it didn't satisfy that itch anymore. You know, I already knew that parts of myself were, were starting to re recede from that old, but you're so far in. It's like, I think that's the problem with so many people is they get so far into this. Like I've spent 20 years chasing this sport. I'm so close to all these goals. Why quit now? Well, yeah. truth be told, so many of us, when you're at the bottom, it's like, man, if I could just get here, that's enough. Well, when you get here, there's somebody here and then there's somebody here and here and here and here. And it just, it escalates until for a personality type like myself, it was, it was, absolute self-destruction in, in, in the pursuit of those ends. Um, disregarded, like I said, people that love me, disregarded people that were, that were friends and faithful to me um, just because I was in the, in the pursuit of more. And now 
like my whole, <laughs> my whole life is so different. Like I'm here at SHOT Show in Vegas, right? And I think this is my fourth or fifth year. And every single time I've been out here, it's just been go here, see this, shake that hand, have that drink, go to this club, go to that club, go to the here. And just to be seen. Like last night I was in my room before midnight, you know, I was, but I was out with, I was at a very small event. It was a private event. Um, very, very tight knit group of people. I was an outsider to a group of friends, but that's the kind of place I want to be in because I see these people are awesome. And then Brady comes in and JP from Chino comes in. We step out. Um, once the event kind of wrapped up around eight o'clock we go downstairs and have dinner and we're just sitting here talking about all these things and through hunting through this thing that is bastardized and misunderstood and categorized as one thing as one thing that grab and grin shot the three of us and, and JP's wife, we sat down and we broke down how hunting had changed every single one of us, how it had made us more compassionate people. It had made us more reflective. Like I, I've even changed the way that I eat meat because of this, you know, um, I was very much a guy. I really sound like I'm tooting my own horn here, but like, I just want, I just want people to understand that there is, there's beauty and success wrapped in so many things that isn't money. That isn't a bigger house. That isn't a faster car. So, you know, I was a guy go to the restaurant, 22, 23 ounce, you know, whatever that is for you guys in KG, but maybe like a one KG or just a little, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, just a little under one KG um, steak, you know, a big ribeye, bone in ribeye kind of thing. And it was, was it because I wanted that much meat or was it because I wanted to show my friends that were with me or maybe even prove to myself, Hey, you can afford this. You deserve this, whatever. But after, after coming back to hunting in a new way, so I hunted kind of like rifle out the window, driving down the road when I was younger. I mean, that's a very, very typical stereotype of of the American hunter. Um, and there was no, there was no reverence for the animal. There was no celebration of the, of the meat, of the kill. It was all about, okay, that's an eight point. That's a 10 point, you know, size is, size is king. Not shitting on anybody that does that, but that was just how I, I was introduced to hunting. So when I came back to it, it was this very, very different feeling. And when I, when I took the meat, you know, and I'm looking at it, it's like, I don't want to just waste this. I don't want to gorge myself on this because I understand how precious this life was as well as I understand how precious and valuable this meat is. And I want to give it to my friends and I want to prepare it and I want to stretch it out so that it lasts. And that reflected back onto my normal habits. You know, like, do I really need a 20 ounce steak or would the eight ounce steak suffice? Would the six ounce steak suffice? Um, Not that I don't think that we should eat meat. I think absolutely. But my whole mindset has shifted to what do I need? I want to be a needs driven person. And I think my struggle for that is similar to the struggle that you face. The reason that I work with the recon sniper foundation, I think that I, I, it's a huge overlap there between our soldiers and our, and our athletes. Mm. When you're preparing young men for combat and when you're preparing athletes for, for sport, nobody says, Hey, you know, I know you're six years old. And you really want to be good at basketball, but one day you're not going to play this sport anymore. Like they don't tell you that. And then of course, going into the military, you have these guys who are, who are driven, who are patriotic, who, you know, have a, have a sense of, of good versus evil and they're prepared. And you have these people that, that elect up 
into special forces and they get these very specific trainings and they become these absolutely efficient machines of war. And then it's like, Oh, you got this knee injury or you got this shoulder thing. You can't go back anymore. Hit the VA when you get home, we'll get you a nice little job. You'll have a nice little life. See you. Bye. You know, and for the athlete, me, for example, um, ranked very, very high at the time I was, I was competitive. I was winning a lot of competitions and, and doing very well. And I mean, like everything I, I'd slept in my car, I had left my family. I'd done all these things to pursue this sport. And that was also the weight that kept me in it was you have to prove that this was worth it. You have to show them that you weren't wrong. And that was a voice that just echoed over and over and over. Like if I go back now, then what was it worth? And then, but what I soon started to realize was that every goal that I hit, there was a sliding goal. Like it just kept getting more and more. And the, the rewards of those goals being hit didn't feel as good. Like I said, when I benched the 600 pounds, there was no elation. It was like, thank God it's over. Like finally, you know, because people, people were rooting so hard for me to do that. They, they were willing me to, to hit this number because they'd followed the ups and downs. They'd seen the injuries that had happened. They'd seen all these things. So it was a bigger moment, I think, for a lot of people around me than it was even for myself because I was already thinking, man, I could have been 615, you know, I could have been, and it, I could have been 280 kilos or, you know, like, that's all I thought about in the moment instead of being like, Hey, I did this great thing, which I told my son that like, I'll tell him, Hey, I did this great thing, but I don't even believe it myself, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a parallel of an athlete like myself who, lost his career to injury. Um, even though I came back to the sport and kept pursuing it, it was like, I mean, I, I would imagine in some level it, it'd be like handing, you know, a bad guy an automatic weapon and handing, you know, one of our guys a revolver. You know, I was just not competing on the same level anymore that my peers were. I mean, I'm, I'm chasing guys that are injury free that are already, you know, right one to one with me or even a little ahead in this lift or that lift. And it just became, it became, insanity. I mean, I had 18 knee surgeries because I wouldn't stop, you know? Um, I don't know if I was addicted to the surgery. I don't know if I was addicted to the idea that I could get back. I don't know what it was, but there's a clear cut addiction pattern to the behavior that I expressed in and around, I guess you want to call it a divorce from my powerlifting career. And, you know, if anybody listens to this and they're a powerlifter or they've been a, a fan of mine for any time, I think there's a misperception or misconception about my feelings on powerlifting. Like if you can do it and you can be happy and you can feel loved and you can be a good man and love your family and love your friends and all those things. Absolutely. But what I hear increasingly is more and more people are in my shoes. You know, they were at the point of like, I've been doing this for 15 years and I loved it, but I'm doing it for 16 years because I've done it for 15. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't that they loved the pursuit of it anymore. You know, I actually have a, a small group of, of clients that we talk about these things and it's, it's really amazing the number of people who reach out privately who are at the top of our sport and they're seeking advice, not necessarily on, on stepping away or giving it up, but just how did you transition? How, what does life look like on the other side of this? Hell yes. At least they're asking the questions, you know, um, I was not prepared for it. I had an exit strategy that was three years into the future. And I, January 26 of 14, I take a squat 
and bow both knees out. You know, I didn't get to live that three-year exit strategy. So I think you're seeing it in the NFL. You're having guys retire early, um, you know, after nine or 10 years, which that's a hell of a long career in the NFL, but um, you're seeing it in, in other sports as well. And I think in powerlifting, we have, uh, we have a ladies champion and she just decided, you know, I'm still going to lift. I'm still going to run seminars and coach athletes. I'm just not going to pursue perfection anymore. I'm just going to mm-hmm. lift how she's done it so well. I, I will never know. Cause she's a fierce competitor. Um, but she's just, an, she's a fantastic person and, and 10,000 times the human that she is a lifter. And I'm just really, really proud that she was able to see the things that I couldn't see. And that's, that's what I hope now is that in some way, if my failures, if my mistakes, if my injury, if all the, the shit that I put myself through and if that helped anybody good, you know, then there was, then there was value to it because if not, I would never ever, that's why I share everything. Like I don't, I don't want people to go through or feel the things that I felt. You know, I think, I think the world is a, is a beautiful place, is a loving place. I think the internet is an awesome place. I get so frustrated when I hear people say, oh, the internet's awful. Well, guess what? This phone doesn't search anything without your input and the algorithms are all reflections of yourself. So if you're engaging with assholes and you're consistently arguing and demeaning and, and, and all this negative stuff, of course it's going to receive it back and your world. And this is our world. Like our world is what we see. The majority of our viewpoint is that right there, you know, and we don't let ourselves put the phone down and look at everything around us. We don't put our phone down and talk to the people that are in our presence. Think about this. And I know I'm getting way too hippy dippy at, eight o'clock in the morning, especially in Vegas. (laughs) But if I told you, you have a one in 8 billion chance to win the lottery and you win the lottery, how good would you feel? Like how amazing would that feel? Right? Yeah. Well, we have a one in 8 billion chance to have a one-to-one conversation. You could have called anybody else. You could have asked anybody else to be on the show. Further than that, if you're at dinner with someone, like especially someone that you say, I love you. Yeah. I care about you. Yeah, I love you. It's cool. You know, like you keep your head down on the phone. You, you're missing a miracle. You're missing an absolute miracle at every turn when you meet someone. The fact that you were conceived, you lived through this world, you've weathered the storm, and you're here. Like total strangers. That's a miraculous moment. Mm-hmm. And we just we we just overlook everything. We overlook every. I'm just getting, I'm just getting started over here. I'm just apparently on the preacher pulpit over here, but I I just think that we're missing so much goodness in our life and we're tying it to all these things. Yeah. Like who in the hell dies and on their deathbed said, man, I wish I had more stuff, you know, like I I was listening or I was reading something the other day about Jim Belushi's death. Right. And you know, it, it was, he was wheezing and coughing and, obviously something was terribly wrong. And the only person who was in the room was a drug dealer. And he said, he said, just don't leave me. Like he knew he was dying. And he said, just don't leave me. He didn't want more drugs. He had all the money in the world. He had the fame, the success, a career. And he just didn't want like this total random drug dealer. Just don't leave me. Don't let me die alone. We're dying alone every single day. I mean, we are. When you engage in this more than you engage in the world around you and the people around you, 
you're dying a very painful, slow death, a very lonely death. And when I started to engage more with people, when I decided that a person in front of me was more valuable, more meaningful than a phone, like you and I've had, you know, we've, we've messaged back and forth. That's fine. And right now I'm completely engaged with you. So what kind of service would it be if it was like, Hey man, you're asking me on your show, but I got to go. I got to bounce. I got something more important to do. And we continuously tell people that without saying those words, we continuously show people that things are more important than them. And for me, a person who was trying to redeem value in himself, I needed people's attention when I was talking, you know what I mean? So by getting that from other people, I started to give that to other people and it just made me a better communicator. It made me better self-aware of who I am, what I believe, what I feel. I don't know. It's uh. I don't know how somebody hears this today and goes, Oh, I'm this person and I'm going to jump to that. It's not that like I'm five years in the making. I'm five years, you know, along the way, April 12th of 2016, I can still taste the gun barrel. I can Mm. still taste the oil in my mouth. Um, and it was just a moment where it was like, you choices got you here. Choices will get you out of this. If it took a thousand bad ones to put this gun in your mouth, make the first good choice by not pulling that fucking trigger, you know? So that was kind of the beginning. If I had the power to choose to save my life, I have the power to to choose my day. I have the power to impact my day. And for me, like it's the most beautiful thing in the world to have control of your life from the sense of I'm not hurting anyone else. I'm not lying to anyone else. I'm not damaging myself. I'm not putting toxins in my body all the time. Like it was just, this miraculous thing, this miraculous point of conception. And here I am just messing it all up. So I'm just trying to get back to a point where I'm a man of integrity. I'm a man of of honesty and I have a vision for what I want my life to look like. And my life looks pretty good outside, you know, engaging in, in, in rafting and hunting and hiking and, and just anything that I can do. It's, it's been such a healing thing for me to get outside because I also think, it's the perfect antithesis to to society. You know, you have these big monumental structures, money, uh, speed, like everybody's going a hundred miles an hour and out there, everything slows down. Mm -hmm. So what I'm telling you, if you're hearing this and you find yourself in that fast paced life, if you ever really want to feel balanced, if you ever want to kind of end that nagging depression, you better, you better relax as hard as you grind. You know, Um, I think that there's something to be said for that. And I'm just trying to explore it and share it and help people as much as I can. That was bloody awesome, man. And um, again, I'll reiterate, go back and listen to the episode with Brady and then you'll get a little bit of context as to why uh, there's so much emotion around you guys um, coming together. Like you said, the the barrel in your mouth and, and and there's the, uh, you know, the unfortunate life experience for Brady too. And then two more services of action. It's just, uh, I got off that call absolutely blown away, and yeah. and yeah, you know that's why you know your your story about you guys aren't and and coming together just for it it, it boils the cockles of yeah, the yeah. heart. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, you, go ahead. Uh, go, you, know, you, you finished. You speak to that point because yeah. Well, yeah. I just I think it's a sad thing, and I see it in people. I think we're the last to admit things to ourselves, mm. but. I mean, think about the the amount of, of suicide that we see in the world today. I mean, what is that person actually saying? I do not feel like my life is worth living. Like, I do not feel worth living. 
and it's how do we get there? How did so many people find that end? It's, it's kind of like, you know, Einstein, I think Einstein said it, you know, you do the same thing and you expect different results. That's the, that's the finite definition of insanity. Mm. Well, look at the world around us. We are, we are more depressed than ever. We're more overweight than ever. We're more disconnected than ever. It's not working, but we're going further into that loophole. We're going further into that vision of more and faster. And now there's something so rewarding of wanting something for a long time and not being able to to get it and then achieving it. Like it, it just blows my mind, the excess and the ability to get anything that you want. Hey, Oh, I need this thing. I need this random part. Oh, well, I can have it Amazon over tonight. You know, it can be here tomorrow. Whereas that's a small thing, but I mean, having goals that take five, 10 years, I don't know that my son has 10 year goals. You know, I don't know that he's setting goals that far ahead and I don't know that a 12 year old should, but I do know that when I was 12 years old, I thought I was going to be a professional athlete. Like I, I believe that in my heart. I thought, man, I'm going to be awesome in the NBA. Well, <laughs> you know, six foot white guys, that's on the, that's on the low side of the spectrum there, but you got a chance, bud, keep fighting. <laughs> but you know, I, I think I've always been a dreamer. I think I've always been someone who probably looked at the big picture too much and believed too much in my own abilities. And I think fortunately I have achieved a lot of the things that I thought were impossibilities, but I can understand on the other side of that, trying to come back from my injuries, it was an impossible goal. It was a goal that I could pursue. It was a goal that I could, I could touch, but I couldn't actually overcome the injury physically, mechanically. And, um, man, that was a hard, that was a hard let go. But I think in letting that vision go and letting that dream go, it opened up so many other dreams. It, it allowed so many other things to come in. And like right now I, I have visions of, of buying land out West, you know, um, I don't want to get, well, Wyoming, <laughs> Wyoming, but if I don't have that goal now, how am I going to make the maneuvers in my business life and in my personal life so that buying that land makes sense? You don't just wake up and say, Oh, I want this really awesome land or this really beautiful home or this really power, whatever it is. You don't just wake up and they happen. Like you have to will yourself towards things. So I am, I'm still committed to things, but I, I very much have a system the way that I approach things now. Like, let's just say this piece of property is $50,000. Well, I have to figure out what that looks like. Do I save $1,000 for 50 years? Do I save $5,000 for 10 years? Do I save $10,000 for five years? What, what are my realistic abilities to make this dream happen rather than just this blue sky vision of, man, it'd be awesome to live in Wyoming mm. or, you know, something like that. So as much as I have shifted my goals from being this person, you know, this, this figurehead, I still have goals. I still work towards things. My, my body's improving. My health is improving. Those are goals that I have. Um, I just think that there has to be a point where you're doing it completely for yourself and not for other people. You know, I lived on a golf course because I knew that was impressive to my friends or the people that I posted a picture of the house online, you know, whatever it was. And I think that in letting all that go, it just, it fixed so many problems. Like, <sighs> we're, we're all, we're all conditioned to chase certain things. And I think that there's so much more worth chasing. I'm just chasing people. 
That's, mm. <laughs> that's all I'm chasing now. <laughs> and you, you said about um, how the internet can be great. And, and I think, you know, people like yourself give, give us out there that permission to, to be a more fulfilled person. And you, you mentioned something there like, and, and I, I'm the same actually when, when you, when you bring it up, I wish someone had said, this is not f- forever. Yeah. Enjoy this. Yeah. Um, and, and you said, you know, you've got a group of athletes that, that you sort of coach or mentor along the way. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm a massive fan of a guy over in Australia, Keegan Smith, and he is about being holistic and, and you know, like I say, taking care of your health, taking care of your spirit, taking care of your um, yeah. of your sort of financial thing and not just go, oh, that'll be all right. I'm, I'm going to be a professional and I'm going to make millions of dollars. And yeah. so then you don't have that. I'm in my car, but I'm proving this to you. you know, this is right. the right decision. Um, how, how does it go down, <laughs> the conversation? <laughs> uh, to, to kind of step back from that mindset and, and change? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever shared this, but, um, whew, there was, there was a moment. So I was pretty much, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I don't want to bring other people into this that can't have a say in the argument. So I'll, I'll kind of broad stroke this. Yeah. <clears throat> I was just put in a situation where without any of my intention or doing, I was at a point of reset. I, literally walked into a house and every single thing that I owned was gone. Um, every single thing that was valuable to me was gone. And all that was there was this cardboard box and it was full of self-help books. And, um, there was a note on top. It was like, maybe you should start reading these, you know, and it was all books that I owned all books that looked really good. When I took that seven foot photograph of my bookshelf, but I'd never cracked a page on these things. Mm. So for the next three or four months, I just really, I think for the first few days, I just sat and looked at the box. Like this is Pandora's box. This is, I mean, literally and figuratively, this is a moment where once you, once you delve into this and once you admit that you're broken, then you can't go back. You, You have to admit whether you're broken, whether you're flawed, whether you're full of shit, whether you're just an outright horrible person, you have to admit it, whatever you are. And if you're a good person, say that too. Hmm. But I was, I was pretty devastatingly a bad person, you know, um, just there was no line that I wouldn't cross as long as it made me feel good. You know what I mean? So I started reading some of the books. I started, I mean, just, I wish I, I wish I could tell you what to do because these things just happen so naturally. Like I remember reading and I remember this particular passage being extremely heavy and I, like I never replaced anything. I didn't have an air mattress or anything. I just had a, a sleeping bag in this box and um, yeah, it got crazy. So, but I started reading this book and I had a really heavy moment and it was like, God, I'm just tired. And I started stretching and I was like, wait a minute that feels really, really good. And then I just kind of moved the shoulders around to the back, use the carpet to kind of like torque myself and pop my back a little bit in this. Then I reached out and see if I could touch my toes. Couldn't touch my toes cause I was 350 pounds, you know, big muscle bound guy, but I touched my toes and then I crossed my legs and I said Indian style 
And I started doing these things and then that led to a YouTube of yoga. And then it led to me calling Ivy at Ivy strength in Lexington to get a yoga appointment. Um, it started like all these little micro things. Like if I had never just been tired and like stretched back, I was like, that feels really good, you know? Mm-hmm. So I started looking for more things like that, like little bitty things that kind of like nudge you forward a little bit that make you feel good. Instead of looking for these big sweeping things, like, to get me to go to a yoga class an hour before that moment would have been impossible. Mm-hmm. But I took that sign of that, and that feels really, really good to the next level. When I, like I said, when I get back into hunting, there's a sign of like, man, I feel really, really guilty having this 20 ounce ribeye. You know, so I, I picked up on all these little signs. Why do I feel that? Why do I think that? And then I would just kind of dwell on it and think about it and write about it and feel about it. And it really turned into like this game of looking for these little signs. And when you start to understand yourself better, when you start to trust that voice that's saying, Hey, do this thing or go this place or do that. It becomes easier. Like I said, it's, it's taken me five years to even tell that story. Like I I'm ashamed that I was in that situation, you know, but um, that's, it's where I am and that's who I am. And it's, it's what I've been through. And I think that, that it all strips back down to what I said in the beginning, whatever you are, whatever you are, admit it because then you can actually work with the truth. And if you can't be the truth, if you aren't the truth, if you can't eject the truth and admit the truth, you have to start with the truth around you. Hmm. And then you can start to figure out who you are, what will make you better, the things that you can do to improve yourself. And I think for me, it was just getting really honest about the way that I treated people. Like I looked at my life. I had no friends from my childhood. And I, I even talked about this on a post. All of my friendships were tied to sport. I, I never had to learn relationship building skills because in August, you know, when we're playing soccer, football, baseball, whatever, my team was already presented to me. My teammates were my friends. Mm-hmm. Well, you get into powerlifting, you have training partners. Well, I would burn through training partners because as soon as I got what I needed from that person, as soon as I got better because of them and then they weren't pushing me to new levels, I didn't need them anymore. So I had this destructive pattern of just using people for whatever I needed them for. And then I was gone. Like I was, I'm the best guy. I got a good looking back. You know what I mean? Like, cause you're going to see it. I'm going to walk away from you and over and over and over in my life. I realized like my truth was I had no friends of value. I had no friends of investment. I had no friends that when I had a gun in my mouth, I had no one to call. I had no one to call. Um, Especially no one that I was willing to admit that to. So it all, it began with my family. Like, you know, who, who do you call? Well, family's supposed to be unconditional love. And I called my dad and I didn't tell him what had happened. I didn't tell him what I'd gone through or felt, but I just, I just talked to him. And in the moment, like we had this amazing conversation. It was small, it was brief, but it was like, I don't think I can ever recall talking to my dad where it didn't turn into some sort of, mm-hmm. you know, pissing contest or you did this, or you said that when you were a kid or, you know what I mean? Like it was just all negative. And for the first time it was like, I want to talk to him again. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to, so Man, I feel like I'm all over the place this morning, but um, I think it's 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 intentional because this year has been so good on so many levels 
And it all, every single moment that I've had a highlight has been shared with other people. Not to say that I haven't done awesome things alone, not to say that I haven't had those, those powerful moments alone, but like the moment with Brady down in the field, you know, I have, I have other moments with my son when he killed his deer this year, like that was really, really heavy. And as a father and a son, especially a father who I can look back and say, I was there, but I wasn't present. I wasn't invested. Um, I was a figurehead, you know, I was, I was his dad, but that was it. Um, to have that moment when I gave him, I gave him the rifle and the deer comes out and I said, look, up and until the point that you pull that trigger, you can always put the safety back on, you know, once you turn it off, it's in your hands. But if you have to, if you decide something's not right, I can't do this, put the safety back on. Sure enough, he takes the deer and I asked him, I said, what was the best feeling about that? And he said that you believed in me and like, you know, as a, as a young man who was desperate for my father's attention and to feel like I was, I was making him proud to have my son understand that I believed in him and I'm very proud of him. I mean, it, it absolutely changed the dynamic of our relationship mm-hmm. after that. Um, a lot of those like awkward moments and things that were left unsaid, like we just talked, we just talked forever. So I just, I, I just want people to talk to each other. I just want people to be around each other. I just want, if, if I hate you, at least say, I hate you, you know, like just start there. Even if it's the hardest thing that you do, be like, I hate you for all the wrong reasons and then figure it out. Like, why do you hate you? And what I found with most of the people that I was at odds with, or that I didn't, I didn't let myself like, they were pretty damn close to reflections of who I was. You know what I mean? And I think that's a very telling statement of if you hate who you are, you got to change who you are. So I started, I just, I just started with stretching over a book. <laughs> I mean, if you want to know the, the, the brass tacks of it, that's where it all started was just yoga seemed so feminine and weak. And I found out very, very quickly that I was, I was weak. I was the one that needed strength. And that changed my definition of strength from barbell only to saying what a man needs to say when he needs to say it doing the right things that you need to do when you need to do it and just being someone worthy of, of friendship. And like it changed so many things. It changed absolutely so many things. And uh, yeah, it's just, I've never looked back at it because it's, it's the best thing I've ever done was to, to be honest with myself about who I am, admit my faults, start working on them. And I'll tell you what, man, it's, you're going to mess up you're going to have a thousand stumbles along the way. But as long as you recognize those stumbles, like, okay, I should have, I should have told this person about this problem two weeks ago, instead of spending two weeks trying to figure it out, fix it behind their back. And now it's a a bigger problem. You know what I mean? That's who I am is, is somebody who doesn't want to put stress on other people. Well, what does that do to me? It compounds my stress. And many, many times I've learned over the last few years, especially that when you just ask for that little bit of help, it's given and it's done and it's moved on. So a lot of the stress that I created in myself was just, it was completely self-induced. It was because I would not, I was too wrapped up in the idea that I had to fix everything. I had to be the man kind of thing. Um, and I think there are responsibilities that men have. And I think that there are individual responsibilities that women have, but 
if you start to live by those codes of, well, only a man would do this or only a woman would do that. Um, you start limiting yourself already. You know, I just try to do everything. I try to experience everything. I live by the idea of, uh, of Voltaire, you know, once a philosopher, twice a pervert, you, you, you can do anything. You can do anything once for the sake of philosophy. Right. Yeah. But, but, and, and I think that's what it is. Like, have the food, have the wine, have this, try all these things, go different places, try new experiences. And if you don't like them, you don't have to go back, but try everything. Like there's so much stuff in this world. Like I said, this conversation is actually miraculous. If you think about it, I mean, the fact that two people for all the evolutionary time period that took us to get here, that we're talking on a screen through a microphone, through headphones and you're crystal clear, you know what I mean? It's like, there's so many things that are to be grateful for all around us, but this is the expectation now, right? Like, Oh, this is the expectation. Hell no. I celebrate this thing. Like this laptop gives me the life that I have because I'm allowed to work from my laptop. Hmm. So without this, my life looks very, very different. So miraculously we're having this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're that president. You know, the thing that I kept coming around and around and around in my head as, as you're talking to me and I know I've, I've sort of given coaching a little bit of, of stick and that's more about a, a joke, a lighthearted joke because I'm also having a stick at my own podcast. They're like, hey, but, you know, podcasting, you interview other podcasters and you sometimes wonder, is anyone listening? So that's, that's, that's the joke behind it. But sure enough, you know, that thing that I resisted, I'm now doing. So, yeah, 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 and, oh. and, and it's like it's like yoga, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, you know. But yeah. then you like when you do it, you're like, oh, yeah, like you say, oh, that's that's too people. Oh, no, I'm doing it, and actually, I'm the I'm the weak one. <laughs> no, listen, man, I, I think I think if anybody tells you, I, I would say that Joe Rogan probably doesn't get on his podcast, and like I hope this goes well. Yeah. But I think <laughs> I think the average person, I mean, listen, whenever we do an episode of Be Legendary, I have two things that I really try to highlight. One. I want the person that's on the other end to be recognized to the listener as legendary. I want them to have the full scale to share their life. And the other thing is I want them to, my hope is that I give them a new angle to look at themselves when the, when the interview is over, you know, like what did he ask me that made me think different? What did he do that? Or what did he say that challenged something that I strongly believe, you know, I talk about the plus one stuff all the time and it's like every encounter that you have, there's nothing neutral in this life. There's nothing neutral. So if I see a total stranger and I walk past them, well, of course that guy with tattoos that hold the door for me, of course that big guy's an asshole. Right. Mm -hmm. But if I hold the door, how are you doing? Good to see you. Like I talk to everybody. I make eye contact with everyone. The next time she sees a guy with tattoos, she might be like, they're not so bad. You know what I mean? And like, if you can just do those little things like that, if you can impact, like if you get one person to listen to this podcast and they decide to do better, that's to me, I'm, I'm sharing all my cards. Um, <laughs> that's why I started the peace, love and meet page with Casey. Um, yeah. I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have 110,000 followers celebrate a guy because they've celebrated me for the past five or six years. You know, there are people that follow me that, that will like a picture that I've never had engagement with. I wanted something where I wasn't talking to 110,000 people. I didn't, the message wasn't lost on the masses. You know, um, I wanted people that were actually like committed to change or 
we're looking for like a roadmap or a way to, to get a little bit better. And Hey, if we can share a workout every day, if we can share a recipe once or twice a week, if we can show you a book to read or this or that or the other, all I'm doing is, is, is I go along and I find things that I've been interested in and, and find useful and, and want to share those things. I didn't want it to get lost. I wanted a very specific group of people that when I posted in my story, Hey, I'm starting a new page. If you're seeking to better yourself, if you're seeking to expand your vision of the world, follow this page. Well, four or 500 people follow the page out of 110,000. Great. Now I have an audience that I know at least from the, from the jump of the description of what we're going to do believes in what I'm doing. Maybe they believe enough in themselves to actually change of the four or 500 that follow so far. If we get 10 of those people, 10, like imagine at the, at the macro version of that, you've got 10 people sitting at home right now with a gun in their mouth and they see something that pulls that gun out of their mouth. That's how impactful your podcast can be. That's how impactful that peace, love and meat page can be. I think, yeah, yeah. Oh, I got a little better. I read that book. Cause you said it, that's, you're going to get those people too, but somebody you're going to save somebody's life. I, I truly believe that. And I think the more kindness, the more love and the more togetherness that we can show, that's the only way to save those people because love's the answer, man. <laughs> love is always the answer. Hell yeah. Right, um, from, you know, and, and I guess it's rules or, or societal norms, and like you say, um, hunting someone that's been given the bad face, or facade, basically. Right, right, right. And, you know, and, and when I've had Bert on here and, and he talked about his passion for hunting and of, of all aspects, you know, what do you think, you know, Steve, uh, sets Sironex apart that they're willing to go, Hey, we're this gym equipment, and hey, now we're sort of tactical. Hey, we're going to do wood destroying now. It's not about it is about physical prowess, but completely different. Well, but think about this, and and yeah. this is this is one of the areas <clears throat> that I'm really really grateful for for men like Bert. Um, so I, I was talking to I was talking to a guy last night about expanding his business, and he was talking about some things, and as he was telling them to me. They, they just felt inauthentic. Like mm-hmm. they felt like business opportunities, yep. but they didn't seem organic. So um, when he was talking to me about these other things, another entrepreneur gentleman comes over and he's telling me about all these things that he, that he wants to do, but it's like, we're going to do this next year and that's going to, we're going to get feedback on this design and then we're going to evolve that to this. But I think this is the direction we're going to go. So he might end up radicalized, in 10 years from where he is now, but it's going to be organic progression. You know, it's going to be five or six steps along the way. Whereas the other guy was looking at, okay, I got a lot of capital to maneuver around. Where do I put it in something that's going to make me more money? Neither answer is wrong. The Sorenex approach to this is everybody hunts like everybody, like <laughs> so many people at Sorenex are involved in outdoors and hunting and that kind of the other. And if you look at it really, we're not doing anything commercial with it. We're just sharing that it's, it's a lifestyle, like get outside and train. We have alternatives to being stuck inside all the time. You know, there's, there's a great big, wonderful world. You can push yourself in it, you know? So I don't expect to see Sornex does a really good job of answering questions that need answered. They don't try to answer questions that don't, we're not trying to be, and I'm maybe overstepping here, but I, I think, 
my understanding of what we're trying to do. We're not trying to be anything more than Sornex Outdoors. We're not trying to be um, a, a factor in the in the outdoor industry. All we're trying to do is show people that there is an outdoors. There's an enthusiastic bunch of people that have a common thread that is Sornex that are outdoor enthusiasts. And we're all out like Britt Batcheroff. I knew she was into duck hunting. Mm-hmm. had no idea her prowess was so good. Like she's awesome. So I found that out about her. I want to go duck hunting with her, you know, and if she ever wants to go on a hunt with me, like it's, it's just great. And I think talking to Bert, I know that, that that is a huge reset point for him as being outdoors myself, Rudy, Brady, all those guys. I mean, we have, we have healed outside. So why would we not be excited to talk about it and share it? Like, I'm not trying to get sponsorships. I'm not trying to get people looking at me saying, Hey, you're the greatest hunter in the world. I will, I guarantee you almost without question, I will never ever post the biggest deer. Not because I I wouldn't shoot a deer that was massive, but I had a bigger deer this year in Kentucky standing four feet from the one that I killed, you know, and the idea behind it was, well, the, the buck that I decided to, to shoot, um, he walks in, he's got an attitude about him. He's got a weird G2. Um, just, I'm a character guy. I like to see, like, it's not really a battle, but you, you would want to think that in battle, I guess you, you take something worth, worth your effort. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, this other buck was just lazy. He was just standing like he was just lazy and sorry. And the other buck came in and just had an attitude about him, a swagger, you know, and that was more interesting and appealing to me. So if, if anybody out there is wanting to sponsor me on big bucks, it ain't going to happen. Like I'm just not, unless that guy walks in and he's the cock of the walk, you know, like then it'll, then it'll happen. But I, I just can't imagine the pressure that some of these guys feel to produce in a, in a field that is already extremely difficult. Like I was watching the Cam Haynes must be nice oh, deal. Yeah. So good. And listen, <laughs> I, I, I related to that, but it was also, it was awesome to see Cam share the vulnerability of this is really hard. Like even he missed a deer, you know, and this is a guy that never misses anything. Right. I mean, that's the perception. So those videos, he got the job done, but he showed the truth of it all. So for a guy like me, it's like, okay, there's opportunity out there. I just have to get better. Mm -hmm. So I think that's all Sornex is trying to do is to show people, Hey, we're not trying to change your mind about anything, but just look at what we're doing. And if you think it's bad, at least give it the thought of what we're doing and why we're doing it. We're not trying to make money from it. We're just showing what we do. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, and to answer back and to make all that make sense, it's just organic. Like when we were trying to do the, the tactical stuff that felt to me like, okay, here's a, here's a need that we can fill, but, we need to rely on our guys like Brady and Rudy and that kind of to, to develop this, not sit here and think, okay, what's the next application we could build for a tactical mm-hmm. unit? What's an, you know, it wasn't that it was Brady, when you were overseas, like what did you wish you had from an exercise standpoint or what did you wish that would have made you better? So when those questions started being answered, that allowed us to look at a few products. We have that sled with the, the pivot arms that you can shoot mm-hmm. between. That's one of the only things that we've developed for that, but it actually, it, it trains the the operator in in ways that is unique to the battlefield. So we took that honest feedback from from guys that were on the battlefield rather than trying to say, hey, you know, this is this will get you ready for the battlefield. You know, we're we're just not in the we're just not in the business of answering questions that aren't being asked, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and sometimes I think we might like with the rack, you know, that was people had racks before that, but we were asking, how can this be the perfect rack? You know, um, I just don't think that we're pulling questions to answer out of the air. I think we're answering things for people in some pretty cool ways and some unique opportunities and Bert's mantra of extraordinary people in extraordinary places doing extraordinary things. I find that to be exactly the recipe for everything. Like you get really cool people in the same place and do anything and it's going to be legendary. You know, um, don't just order pizza when your friends come over, like make a pizza or make a steak or cook for them. Like have some blood in the game. You know, that's, that's the way I look at it. I kind of coined it the blood on my hands existence. If I'm into something, I want to, I want to be into it. I don't just want to be, Oh, I love steak and then take people to a steakhouse. No, let me show you how I cook a steak. Let me invite you in from the front porch to my table. And that's just, that's really all it boils down to for me is, trying to get people invested and trying to invest in others, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the Sornex outdoors is, is like, if we can just show you an examination of everybody that at Sornex that's enthusiastic about the outdoors, maybe somebody else will pick up a rifle or a bow or get into hunting, whatever it is. And that's all we want to do is just elevate people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or, you know, get into trail running or hiking or, yeah, yeah. or walking, you know, just, you know, just have to be, Absolutely. Be, be extreme, but like you said, Listen, walking a mile is somebody's Everest. You know, that's, there was a time in my life I couldn't walk 500 yards without having to sit down. I mean, I was good at squat, bench, and deadlift. you know, I wasn't good at anything else. So, uh, <laughs> funny joke. I used to say at seminars until a lady got upset with me, but I'll, I'll tell you, I said, I was, I was so good at three things. I was good at squat, bench, and deadlift. I was so big. I couldn't even, I wasn't even good at getting a blow job. So. <laughs> <laughs> get out of get out of breath on the receiving end oh, dear, uh, dear. but no it was um i think i think for me it's just truly wanting to be capable wanting to be accountable yeah. those yeah. two words are big for me and i know they're kind of cliche but i just want to be a person that's invested i think mm-hmm. that's a that's a good word to put it like in myself in the life around me and the people around me just try yeah. to be the best i can so, so then, obviously, that, that comes with sort of following your curiosity and stuff like that. And and so, when it comes to training now, what sort of is the curious thing that drives the way that you program, oh, as opposed a, to the curiosity before was a, a, a number that you got to hit? Oh, I don't think we have enough time for this one. Um, but, but truly, so push pull, you know, stand up, get down. Like that. Those are the kind of rules. I post the workouts to the peace, love and meat page. And I just want people that I'm going to get more invested with it. But like I said, you can't, you can't dump everything on people at once. You kind of have to grow this thing. So the workouts that I post when I'm writing them out, like this is exactly what I'm going to do tomorrow. But when I get to the gym, it's like, it's not actually this way, but it kind of feels like when I walk in there, certain things catch my eye Yeah, and it's like, okay, that's what I'm going to do today. Or like, little sore in the shoulders, not going to do the press, maybe do this or do that. So I might do 30 different exercises and never repeat one. Like mm-hmm. I might, I might do one set of 30 different things, or I might do five sets of six rounds of the same five. You know what I mean? But Terrence Mitchell has the the 600 rep life. That's probably a, a beginning ethos for the way that I train now is one hour, six, 600 reps. You're going to have to work. 
you know, like to get those reps in, you're going to have to work at it. So that's really my parameters right now is I know that at 40 minutes, the calories I burn when I'm training at 40 minutes, I know the calories I burn when I'm hiking. I try to train and hike every day. Mm. If I'm not going to be able to do the hike, which is I can train at my house. So if I'm not going to be able to make the hike that day, I usually train for an hour. Um, so those are my parameters, you know, 400 reps in 40 minutes, 600 reps in an hour, 40 minute hike, um, that kind of thing. And that's, that's really the only parameters that I hold to. Like I, I have no belief any longer that if I tell you, Hey, do four rope, put four sets of rope push downs. I think if you did a set of rope push downs, a set of skull crushers, a set of dumbbell tricep extensions and a set of close grip pushups, you stimulated the tricep, you know, like that's all we're trying to do. And these attachments and these bonds to certain exercises, you know, squat, bench and deadlift, clean and jerk, military press. That pretty much covers the gamut of, of like, if you want to be really barbell specific, strong, do those. Hmm. If you want to be capably strong, that might be a one handed pull up. That might be a two handed pull up. It might be one hand over one hand under pull up. I mean, any way that you can challenge yourself, any, any way that you can make training fun again, do that. Like that is my recipe. I do not. My dad asked me one time, he said, Hey kid, why do you, uh, why do you train so hard to feel so bad? <laughs> I was like, oh, there's the million dollar question. So I, I train absolutely for fun. I train for high intensity impact because you know, I, I want to be, I was very, very proud of myself, um, for the condition that I was in when I got to Arizona. Like I saw some guys struggling. I saw some guys that weren't tacking up the miles. They just, they just weren't getting the opportunities. And continuously we saw deer continuously had opportunities to stalk. And I prided myself on the fact that legitimately um, for a number of years after my injury, basically because I just ballooned in weight, I couldn't walk. I couldn't walk a mile would have been an impossibility. So to go from that, to rowing a hundred thousand meters in a day to, um, hiking some very, very tough trails in the Appalachian area, um, uh, hiking every single day at the pinnacles in Berea, you know, all these things, they're just because I was okay to suck. Like I was, I knew that I couldn't walk a mile. So what do you do? Walk a half a mile and walk half a mile away from your truck. You got to turn around and walk back. So now you're walking a mile. Um, but those are the kind of games that I play with myself. Like when I, when I ran the first marathon, I actually started out for a half mm -hmm. and I was like, who the hell starts something with half in the title? Well, I get to like mile 18 and I was like, man, that half would have been awesome. <laughs> but I ended up, and this is important. I ended up calling a coach, um, Bunky Harkle road. He's a women's basketball coach at Sacramento state. And really one of those impact figures in my life, somebody who, uh, you know, he wrung the towel out and got every ounce of, of me that he could, you know, like he, he really pushed me to a level mentally um, that made me better physically. And he was my coach. So I called him at like mile 18 and I was like, what's up coach? And he said, not much. It's early. Cause I started my run really, really early. So it's, he's in California and I'm on the East coast. So, it was way early for him. And I told him, I said, coach, I don't think I can do it. And, uh, God, here I am getting emotional again. I said, I don't think I can do it. And he said, what? And I said, well, I'm 18 miles into this marathon 
And he said, oh, you're going to finish. And I heard the plop of his shoes. And he got up and he ran every step until I finished that. <laughs> so, you know, he's a runner anyway. So he was going to get up and run, not trying to make him look any better. But, <laughs> but, but for the fact that, you know, there was somebody, like I told you earlier in this conversation, that there was a point in my life that I had no one to call. Yeah. And here, fast forward, I have this coach um, who obviously I could have called a thousand times over. I just didn't know it. And I don't know why I called him. I really don't know why I called him. And we text and we talk here and there. But it was like, man, it was one of those signs again, you know, like call Bunky. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why am I going to fight that? So I called him and it was literally what could have been better than somebody on the other end of the line running step for step with you until you finish this stupid thing. You know, and I'm the idiot that runs 13 miles away from his truck. So you have to turn around and run the 13 miles back. So it was, uh, it was very, very close to getting an Uber. And then I called him and it ended up finishing it. And, you know, it, that was a really, really cool day. That was another kind of emotional breakdown day. Um, I, I don't think anybody's ever done a marathon that didn't have some of those emotional roller coasters, you know, but that's what my life has really been pared down to is trusting my gut. And, um, you know, maximizing the effort that I put into things, if I, it's kind of distill one from Matt Vincent, it's either fuck yes or hell no. Like I don't, I don't want to be nonchalant about anything. I want to be extremely deliberate, extremely intentional about my beliefs, my, my, my life. And if that makes people live a little better around me, hell yeah. Then I did my job as a human. Like I made people around me better. Yeah. Um, so Again, one of those one of those people that you sort of see from the outset, and you you resist a little bit, and then you dive in and um, start giving massive value. Is Ryan Mickler, who was with you out there at, at um, yeah. Big Chino? What what was the setup in, in camp, and and what did you guys sort of chew the fat on? So, when you get out there, <clears throat> it's I've been at I've been at camps that are extremely like pack in pack out kind of thing, mm -hmm. and then this camp <clears throat> you have a I would call them, I don't want to say bungalow because that, that's not right, but it's individual buildings. So mm -hmm. the guides have their own shack. Shack is a good word. They have a good shack. They're very, very nice. Um, they have bedrooms. They have bunk beds in them. They have running water. They have, I mean, it's, it's like an apartment for the guides. Mm -hmm. It's essentially an apartment for, for the hunters. Um, there's four to five bedrooms in, the, in their cabin, and there's double beds in each one, um, either stacked or side by side. And you don't really have a lot of time to just sit and chop it up. Like you wake up, you get with your guide, you go, you eat breakfast with the group, you go out with your guide all day, you come back. Some people come back <clears throat> to camp and they'll want to lay down for a little bit before they eat. So you, you might eat early and miss them. But I always, as soon as I got back, I literally walked over to the gym there and trained. Mm -hmm. Ryan joined me for a training session. We had a good one. Um, but yeah, I, I think Ryan, what I was most impressed about with Ryan, we were there with a couple of very, very powerful, um, personality types, very strong headed types. And Ryan was really, really good at maneuvering conversation with them in that he was honest about what he disagreed with and he didn't necessarily back down when they, they weren't used to being disagreed with. I could tell, um, and he, he held his ground, but he was also professional about it too. Like he didn't tell them they were wrong. He just insisted that there are alternatives to the, to the way that 
they're doing things. And mm-hmm. that was impressive. I think that he's got, I don't know that I would want to be Ryan Mickler. Um, I've kind of, I've had a following that kind of waits on every word that you say kind of deal at times. Um, especially when I was pumping a lot of training articles and training information. So he has a huge responsibility to a mass of people and, um, responsibility in that he's created something, you know, and people, they love it. So what I fear and why why I say, I don't think that I would want to be Ryan right now is because man, there are so many days that I just don't want to be on the internet. There are so many days where I just, where I will literally type things and I'm like, nobody gives a shit. Nobody, (laughs) nobody gives a shit about this. Like don't even post it. But when you're driving a page like that, it has to be continuous. It has to be, you know, um, he's doing a job that I can't do. So I applaud him. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think, you know, you have to be, you have to look at it for what it is. Is he, is he going to be on this particular voice box for forever or does it evolve? You know, like, does it have stages where it's like, you know what, this is just men right now, but he and his wife are doing some great things. Maybe she's the voice that brings women into the fold. And now it's like order of human instead of just order of man. Um, I don't know. I don't know if, if Ryan has any convictions one way or the other, but he's a smart guy and he'll, he'll, he'll figure it out. But I think, I think he's doing a great job at what he's doing. Um, man, I just, I know what it feels like when people really depend on you for that, that for that little bump every day, you know, it's like, I need that motivation or I need that accountability or I need that post to help me figure it out. And listen, I'm all about the idea that you have to be intrinsically motivated, but trust me, there are so many days where I'll go to my phone and I'll see somebody train like my buddy Casey, you know, he'll, he'll post something. I'm like, all right, you're going to take it easy today. You know, something like that. So that's all I hope to be. I don't, I don't necessarily want to tell anybody how, and if you notice the tone of peace, love and meat, I think overwhelmingly, I never want to be this guidebook of how to live your life. I'm just going to show you how I live live mine, and I'll talk about the changes of what I feel versus what I used to. And if at any level that catches on, or somebody's like, "Oh, that's you know that that would work for me too," good. But I don't. I do not want to be responsible for other people's happiness. I, I just. I don't. I, I don't want to tell people because I used to do that when I was lifting. Like you get this, um, kind of like you know, expert complex where, because I'm doing well at something, everybody should do what I'm doing. And then you get information bias because you only start to believe things that you already believe and you start to circulate yourself with other people that reinforce that. Um, and I, and no way, shape or form am I talking about Ryan at all. I'm just giving you the example for myself. I would, I would dismiss information that was highly valuable because it was counter to what I believed. So if I had people that were following me at that time, and I'm saying this thing sucks. Well, and, and now I believe that there might be one guy out there that could have benefited from that. I was wrong. So I try not to, I try not to preach. I try not to give directives. I just say, these are the things I'm doing that are pretty cool. And, and I like these things. They make me feel good. They make people around me feel good, you know? So I, I just, I think we're both going the same direction. We're just doing it in different ways. And I think that there's a necessary point for both. 
Like yeah. some people need that hard line structure. Whereas you put, you give me hard line structure and I'm going to be backed in the corner. Like, I don't like that. I like to be more ebb and flow kind of just go at my own speed, go at my own pace. Like I tried to do the four thirty wake ups and the, you know, one hour of dedicated riding. Like I, I even, I mean, you know, I talked about it on my page and I think there's a point where it was good from a discipline standpoint because it, it enforced the discipline for myself. But listen, I'm in Vegas. I slept seven and a half hours last night. I usually sleep eight and a half plus hours at home. Um, I do really good about like shutting my phone off at 10 o'clock and then I sleep until, you know, if I sleep, if I go to bed at 10 and I wake up at seven, you know what I mean? Like what I miss, like what did I fucking miss from four 30 to seven o'clock other than some dudes training in his pr private gym and doing an hour of journaling? I didn't miss shit. So you know, and, and I don't, I don't knock people for doing those things. I knock myself for doing those things because what I would do was get up at four 30. I would write complete gibberish and then I would be tired all day and then I would do it again the next day. And the writing got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse to the point that what, why am I even writing at all? Why are you getting up at four 30 at all? So when <laughs> I started to change things, you know, I try everything. That's what I say. Try everything. But when it starts to prove that it's not valuable or it's not working change for me, what works is well, I can get down the abyss of Netflix or YouTube or whatever, just like anybody else. But if I literally put my phone down, pick up a book at nine 30 by 10 o'clock, I'm out. Mm -hmm. I'm waking up at six or seven, totally fresh, totally ready to go. Totally ready to walk downstairs, make my coffee, which by the way, screw Vegas. They take all the coffee makers out of the room. Now you have to go downstairs and buy one. Now they don't have complimentary coffee anymore. Screw Vegas. <laughs> but I go downstairs, have my coffee. I'm ready to train. I'm excited to train. Training kind of is where I do a lot of my thinking. So after I train, I go for a drive. I think some more, I write. My writing is better. My writing is more fulfilling because I found the set that works for me. These guys that tell you, if you're not up at four o'clock, if you're not out there grinding, if you're not doing this shit, fuck them. Like that works for them and great, but don't guilt people into that existence because that's what happened to me. I got guilted into that existence because I thought, okay, that's the only way you're truly grinding. Hmm. And I was grinding myself into dust. It was not beneficial. So now, you know, I mean, look at me, I'm talking 500 miles an hour and it's nine 30 here. We've been going since like eight. But I got, you know, I got up at seven o'clock and I feel great. And, um, I'm just, I'm happy to be alive, dude. Like, I'm so happy to be alive. I'm so happy to be here. And Scott Volkortzen invited me to come out to the Volkortzen booth. Why would I not come? You know, he's been an awesome player in my life too. So my life is just all about doing what feels good, you know, but not at the expense of others. Yeah. What booth are you at, Matt? Because um, I've probably got a couple of people there. Uh, Volkortzen. Volkortzen. I'll see some people yeah. just shake your hand. <laughs> yeah, please. Please do. Volkortzen. I'm actually going to head over there whenever we're done here. But yeah. um, they they do, again, a guy that I admire very much for staying in his lane. Um, they make very, very high-end competition-style twenty two caliber rifles and pistols. I mean, like – here I am, this guy, 308s, 300s, 9mm, you know, all the, all the bigger caliber, you know, pistols or rifles. And those are things that alienated shooting from my son because he couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what he can shoot? A Volkortzen rifle or a Volkortzen pistol. So now, guess who else can do that? My dad mm -hmm. or, or anybody involved. So now these, these pistols and this rifle became a family event because we can all do it. It's all interchangeable. So... 
Scott, you know, he could do a 308 or he could do a 300 and he may, but he said, I want people to be precision point perfect. And I want people to be able to do this with their family. So, and he's doing it the best in the world. You know what I mean? And that's people like Scott really give you the the reinforcement to keep, or at least me, they give me the reinforcement to keep believing in what I'm doing, keep family focused, keep friends focused, keep myself out of trouble, you know, just stay doing, stay doing what feels good. Um, you know, and, and just try to shine a little light on everybody else. And I'm so like this whole trip, like screw Vegas, but this trip shot show, like I can tell you exactly what I'm going to do. So I was at a private event with, with a very, very small group of friends last night. Unbelievable. Um, that my life was in a room with some of those people, you know, just the way that things have shaken out. I go to Leathernecks, which is a, it's the recon sniper bar. I mean, that's where all the Marines go. It's a Marine only bar. But, you know, they've, they've welcomed me into that place because of some of the work I've done. And when I go in there, you see Ghost. He's the guy that owns the place. What's up, brother? Come in, have this. And then you see Bluto. He's a guy that rides with their MC chapter here. And there are people that love me in this place. You know, there are people that get excited when I walk through the door. And it's equally as exciting to walk through their door. I mean, if you see the Leatherneck, it ain't on the strip. It's not a super fancy joint, but it's got cold beer and it's got good food, you know. and Again, extraordinary people in extraordinary places doing extraordinary things. You get a bunch of Ricondo Marines over there at uh, at Leathernecks tonight or tomorrow. Beer's flowing, food's going. Guarantee you're going to have a good time over there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just be around people that give a shit. Be around people that are doing cool things. And I just have a long list of, of really cool things. Like I'm going to go see Bo Sandoval at the UFC Performance Institute when I'm here. Um, I mean, there's there's five or six other things that have become mandated when I come to Vegas. Yeah. The first time that I went to the performance Institute, it was like the selfie game. But when I go out there now, I see Bo, I see people that work there. I see the facility. Sornex did this facility. So Sornex is really the conduit for all of this for me. Mm-hmm. And that's why I push so hard for Sornex to be validated as, as you know, we're known to the right people, but I want more people to know because my life is drastically better because of that. And it's, it started with the equipment. It started with training myself, but it's also the connections. I, I tell Bert all the time and he gets mad, not really mm-hmm. mad, but you know, he's like, we're sort of exercise equipment. And I say, we're sort of the human company by proxy of exercise equipment. So, but I, I, if that's a distinction that we're going to argue about for a long time, it's a good one. You know, yeah, people first. Absolutely. Mate, um, speaking of people, where do people find you? Uh, I'm going to let you get down to the shot show because it'll be... Uh, it's all good, man. Yeah. Um, really and truly, I think the, probably the best place to, to follow along would be Brandon Lilly 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon, L-I-L-L-Y, the number three on Instagram. Uh, I don't do Twitter very much. Uh, Facebook is just kind of like whatever I post on Instagram goes to Facebook. I don't really engage over there much anymore. <laughs> So Instagram is kind of my, my personal story. You know, I try to share stuff. I try to share food. I try to share what's going on. I don't intentionally try to make it a highlight reel. Like, look how awesome my life is compared to yours anymore. It's more like my life's pretty cool and I got some cool things going on. But if you really want um, help with, with exercise or just general ideas on ways that maybe you can improve your life by following along is peace, love and meat. That's our new page. I'm doing that with Casey. We have a couple other people involved and 
every Friday I'm trying to get like a Friday feature from different coaches in the industry that kind of inspire me. So hopefully what I'm, what I'm really getting down to is I want to share experiences. I want to share better food recipes that people can try that they can repeat, um, books, motivational videos, but also the other coaches that we share. I want, I want to introduce people to new interesting people that excite me. Like I don't ever want to just be a person that is like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. I've done enough of that. And it's, it's a very toxic place for me. So if I can, if I can, help people improve and expose people to other people that maybe help them improve further. Hell yeah. Like that's a win for everybody. If you want to reach out to me individually, Brandon Lily three at Yahoo is, is an easy email or you can hit the email link on the, on Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. But I try to reply to as many messages as I can. I used to obligate myself to, to reply to all. Um, and it, it gets kind of monotonous I'm trying to keep up with that. But you know, if you really send me something uh, heartfelt as far as like a question or something that you're really struggling with, I, I try to spend more time on those and not so much on like, hey, dude, you look awesome or hey, guy, you're, are you going to power lift again? You know, I, I'll answer those, but I really do try to put thought into ones if somebody puts some thought into the question. And uh, last, last but not least, most important thing to me is if you're struggling, if you feel like there's no other option in life. I don't care if you know me. I don't care if you like me. I don't care if anything, just reach out because I'll listen. And uh, that's an open invitation to anybody. And if it's a message and it takes a phone call or if it takes me driving to you, I'll get there Um, or I'll get you help somehow. So that's uh, i I've been there. So I know all about it and, and life is good on the other side of it. If you can get through it. Hmm. Yeah, man. Um, So, and and of course, if people want to hear some more people that you're sort of highlighting, like you said, people that mean a lot to you, be legendary yeah. podcast, easy to find. They can, yep. they can find it in the show notes to this as well. And awesome. Yeah. So we'll do that. Mate, um, you've left us with a lot already. Do you have like a philosophy ish or, or a quote or something that you've found that you just keep going back to that hasn't done you wrong that, that you've, that's shown up in your life? You know, I would probably, I don't know if there's one, one central theme, but I think if you boil my life down to this is love has always been the answer for me. Like it's been the one thing that saved me. And, um, I think you start there and I think people sometimes look at love as, as a weakness, you know, it's a vulnerability, but love is the same thing that would that would end my life to protect those that I love. You know what I mean? Um, I don't want people to ever perceive that there's weakness in that. I don't think, I don't think that there's anything more powerful, more needed and more important in the world today than love. And it doesn't have to be, you know, the cartoon hard eyes kind of love. It's just love this life, love the opportunity that you're given, love everybody that you meet, like literally be kind to every single person that you meet. Because the world is really good at, at, at giving back. We, like I say with the phone, when you, when you do certain things to the phone, it gives back certain things. When you do things to the earth, you know, as far as the people around you, the space around you, if you take care of things around you, things around you start taking care of you. So that's, that's really probably what it boils down to. And stop competing with other people. Just compete with yourself. That's the post I made last night. You know, I'm no longer competing with my peers. I'm competing with yesterday. And it doesn't have to be these, these massive sweeping victories. Just 
make the right choices. If you're at dinner and you know that this one's going to take you closer to your goals and that one's going to take you further, choose that one. If you know that training today is going to get you closer to your goals than, than not, train. You know, if you know that training today is going to make you worse than it will to rest, rest. Whatever you need to do to better yourself so that when, the, when your kids or your family or whatever it is, be the best version that they get because you're the only one they got. You know, like I, it, I hate the guy that I was as a father for a lot of years. I mean, like I said, I was there, changed the diapers, did all that stuff. But it was like, I didn't show my son. I didn't show him how to be a man. I didn't show him things to, to make his life better. I just did things for him. Like, oh, he's crying. Well, here, let's do this. Instead of saying, here's how you do this so you don't get upset. You know, I have to be the best version of myself so that when he needs me, he knows I'm there and I'm, and I'm good, you know, and I extend that to any, anybody. Like, why would I want to be less than my best for anybody else? So I, I think that's really what it all boils down to. Just take care of everything you can and everything you can take care of you. So <laughs> Epic, man, I love that. Uh, love you. Thank you so much. Oh, and thanks I, for having me. And I love this. Yeah. I don't so know if you, I don't know if it's even post worthy because it is so right. it's complete gibberish. I, <laughs> I, I was like, I don't know because I'm on the other end so much now. Yeah. It's like, I have all of these things that I want to talk about and say, and it like all came out. So it's good, man. It's good. <laughs> as, as you know, being the host, it's awesome when that happens. So thank you again. And I'm, I'm going to press stop. Cheers, bro. Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Starts with love. Yeah. Oh, goodness me. I know that uh, most of this audience is male and love is a tough word. Um, I listen to Pete Evans quite a lot, and that's what he always finishes off with. I love you, man. And, and uh, if you remember back when Cam Haynes, uh, not Cam Haynes, <laughs> I wish, uh, Cam Anderson, he's also awesome, uh, was on when we finished up. He, he put up a little post on Instagram saying, I love you, man, as a joke. But actually, I, I was totally cool with that. I thought that was blooming awesome, man. And even though it was him saying it first and he was trying to accuse me of it, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, saying I love you, man, especially to your mates, um, you, you guy mates. Uh, as Brennan was talking about there, those people that are deep and meaningful friends, and I was a bit like him. I had sports, had those pre-made friends the whole time, and then it came to you know, finishing university and being out here in the world on my own and thinking, shit. Where are my mates at? And so lucky that uh, there's three other guys that I flattered with at, at my last year of uni and, and then a couple of guys from high school that are just absolutely awesome, uh, wicked wicked to talk to and are lifelong friends and they're always there. So, yeah, tell your mates you love them or at least talk to them. <laughs> um, of course, I bring you this podcast with the help of Waikito, W-A-I-K-E-T-0 dot P-R-U-V-I-T-N-O-W dot com. Waikito dot prove it now dot com. Jeez, we're running my words together, that excited. Um, that's for exogenous ketones to get yourself into ketosis. Also, MCT oil, keto protein, keto broth, keto creamer, uh, the 60-hour reboot. It's all there. Just check out the website. That's in the show notes. Be sure to check out Brandon Lilly's page, pages, uh, Soren X, the Be Legendary podcast. You will not be dis disappointed. The crew there are just absolutely amazing. Um, 
managed to find them through another legend, Derek Woodski. Hopefully we get him on one day. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sorenex means a world to him as well. And uh, if you go in there and see why you'll see the passion, check out things like Summer Strong, Winter Strong. You know, Kaifanu, she was she went to that first Winter Strong and just raves about it and, and the people she met. So yeah, check them out. They're awesome. I love them. And I'm so stoked to be able to share another member of that epic crew with you. And uh, be sure to contact Brandon or myself um, and let him or myself know what you got out of this. Because, man, I'm going to oh, look forward to listening to this again. Legends.